Welcome into Ally Radio for this Friday, July 28th, 2023. I'm Noah Glick, executive editor of the Sierra Nevada Ally. On this week's show, we're looking at the drama and intrigue surrounding the Douglas County School District. Over the last two months, the school board has made a series of puzzling decisions that appear to be setting the stage for legal battles. We bring on Rocio Hernandez, education reporter with the Nevada Independent, to help break it all down for us. Then, California Governor Gavin Newsom has proposed a new amendment to the U.S. Constitution, but does it have a shot? We check in on the process for how an amendment gets added to the country's founding document and the likelihood it happens this time around. Then, a lighter conversation to kick off our weekend. A recent UNR grad has been spending the past several months teaching English in the Basque country of Spain, and she tells us all about this wonderful and unique culture. We've got a lot in store this week, so let's get right into it. The mission of the Douglas County School District, according to its website, is, quote, to ensure that all students achieve excellence in education, character, and citizenship in partnership with parents and the community. Furthermore, official policy posted to the school board's website says Douglas County School District does not discriminate on the basis of gender identity or expression. So during the board's May meeting, it might have seemed a little strange to hear school board president Susan Jansen say this. While I appreciate the legal advice provided by the board, by Maupin, Cox, and Legoy, I do not feel that your law firm is aligned with the mission of the current board. As a result, I'll make a motion to place on the June agenda to terminate the contract with our current legal firm, Maupin, Cox, and Legoy. Also for the June agenda that the superintendent as well as board members are to recommend applicants for new legal counsel. And in the event that the district is sued, I'd like to add an agenda item also to be placed on the June agenda to approve the retention of outside counsel to handle that specific matter. Rocio Hernandez is an education reporter with the Nevada Independent, and she joins us now. Rocio, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. For people who haven't been following all the latest of what's going on at the Douglas County School Board, you've been following it. You've been reporting on what's going on. Let's just take folks back to a couple months now, back to May. What were trustees originally discussing when it comes to uh, some of their transgender athlete policy? Yeah, so they've been looking for a while now to create a policy that would essentially ban transgender students from participating in girls' sports, from participating or from going into the restrooms and locker rooms. Um, The policy that they wrote out and shared, or at least a draft in May, doesn't specifically say transgender, but it's worded in a way that it makes it seem like it's targeted towards transgender students. Uh, The school board members will also say that the intention of the policy is just to keep students from from going into locker rooms or restrooms or bathrooms of their preferred gender, um, rather go into those kinds of settings based on what their assigned gender at birth is. And they've also talked about how the purpose of their policy is not really to isolate students, but rather it's to protect girls, cis girls from sports, losing out to opportunities against transgender girls, potentially being harassed or intimidated in locker rooms if they have to be side by side with the transgender girl. Um, But we have heard the superintendent and the school board themselves even have said that there's very few students who openly identify as transgender. And even if they do identify as transgender, they do have single use restrooms that they already use. So Largely, it doesn't really sound like there's a problem here. Um, it doesn't sound like girls, cis girls are losing out in sports or being intimidated or harassed at this time. 
I'm curious how this fits into the overall policy of the state, right? Um, the state just passed an equal rights amendment not that long ago that that guarantees equal protection and and uh, and it guarantees that we cannot discriminate based on gender identity. So how does this square with what what we already have in place, whether it's in the state or other school districts? So we also do have um, the Nevada Interscholastic Activities Association, which doesn't necessarily say whether a transgender student should or should not be allowed. They kind of have just guidance that says, you know, it's up to the school district to determine whether transgender students are are eligible to play in the sports teams that best correspond with their preferred gender. Um, so they kind of do leave it up to the school districts and they kind of do have like this rubric that they could follow um, if they choose to just to make sure that the student is identifying as their gender and that's the reason why they want to participate in a certain team but it doesn't necessarily say you know districts have to block certain students from being part of certain sports teams um, but yeah like you mentioned we did have that um, equal kind of equal rights uh, question passed last year in, in the election and that kind of threw a little bit of a wrench in what the school board was trying to pass that policy back in May. Their lawyer at the time, their legal counsel at the time, did kind of warn them that the it's so new, no one has challenged that policy. So it's not quite clear whether or not the policy proposal that the school board is hoping to pass would have a chance at fighting this in court if they were to get a court challenge. Um, so that kind of gave the whole thing pause right now. Um, but it, like you mentioned, it sounds like with their new legal counsel, Joey Gilbert, it sounds like they're positioning themselves and readying themselves to put the policy forward again. And that's kind of what some community members talked about, that they see this as a precursor, that they're concerned that the school board's trying to take up issues that aren't really in its purview. You know, they want to see them focusing on students' mental health, student safety, grades, academic achievements, and not necessarily putting themselves in the spotlight for a policy that maybe is out of their hands and should be handled at the state level or even the federal level. And like you mentioned, there's there's very few students who are identifying as transgender within Douglas County Schools already um, anyway. But I want to take a step back real quick and and bring up the, the, the threat of legal challenges to this policy. The ACLU has already come out and said that they will uh, they will pursue legal action if this policy is in place. So can you just give us an, uh, a quick backdrop as to what the legal representation was and is now for the school district and what moves they've made recently? Yeah, so before the school district was represented by a law firm called Maupin, Cox & Ligoy, and they have um, at least 20 years of representing the school district either on a regular basis or just on a case-by-case -case basis. And they also specialize in education law. So they, they were a great go-to resource for the school district. You know, they have that specifically covered. But recently, the school board decided to part ways with uh, its former legal counsel and instead hire on Joey Gilbert. Again, Joey Gilbert at the meeting, he kind of said that, you know, he doesn't really specify in education law. He handles more criminal cases. Um, but that he said that he's writing himself to be part of this position. He also brought up his interest in education during his gubernatorial run. He talked to a lot of teachers and students, and he said that that's something that he's been passionate about since then, even though he did lose that election. Um, since then, he's also gone on to apply to be uh, a trustee in the Washoe County School Board as well. Um, and now he's you know going to join the, Wash the Douglas County School Board and District as their legal counsel. Um, and he has said that, 
you know, he plans to work closely with the trustees and work with trustees on all sides. And it it also sounded like he would be in favor of exploring the policy that the board wanted to bring up and seeing if there's any precedent, seeing if there's any way that he can make uh, a legally sound argument for this. Rocio, you did some wonderful reporting in the Nevada Independent. If anyone listening hasn't checked it out yet, please go to the NevadaIndependent.com and check out Rocio's reporting. But one of the things that stuck out to me when I was reading your report is, is, is it true? Is Joey Gilbert's law firm charging the district more money than their previous law firm? Okay, so it looks like their previous legal counsel charged them a monthly retainer fee of $5,000 for just general business and $225 for an hourly rate for litigation and special projects. So Gilbert's firm is planning to charge the district a retainer fee of $7,500 per month and then $325 for every additional hour. But you do have to remember that the legal counsel that the district had before had been with them for a long time. So that probably was at a discounted rate. Just And then at the board meeting, Gilbert kind of alluded that that was a fee that was instituted years ago. So even if they, the district had, you know, considered keeping its legal counsel, that price might have gone up now just to reflect, you know, today's day and age and inflation and all that. I'm just curious to know, do you have any sense of what's next for the district? Obviously, they've they've put forward Joey Gilbert as their legal representation there's some discussion about whether or not to address the transgender athlete policy again. Do we have any sense of what's going to happen next or is there things that people can be paying attention to? Yeah, I, you know, from what we heard from trust, one of the trustees, Linda Gilkerson and other community members, it sounds like that is the natural next step. It sounds like the board will be working with Joey Gilbert to kind of craft uh, policy language that would allow them to, uh, keep transgender students from going into locker rooms, restrooms, or sports teams that don't align with their gender at birth. Um, so it sounds like you know this was just their next step to getting that solidified is working with Joey Gilbert as their legal counsel. Um, but that remains to be seen. I just checked out the agenda for the school board, and it doesn't seem like they have it on for their next meeting. But I think we'll definitely be watching to see what comes out of that. Um, I know that there's other states and other school districts, not necessarily here in Nevada, that are having similar discussions too. And it sounds like uh, those cases have dragged on, they go to court, and it kind of just depends on what what court you go to and how the judge rules in on it. But it, it seems like a, a topic that is nationwide and is you know pretty divided right now. Rocio Hernandez is an education reporter for the Nevada Independent. You can check out her work on thenevadaindependent.com. Rocio, thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing your expertise with us. Thanks for having me. California Governor Gavin Newsom has long been outspoken on gun violence and the need for more common-sense gun reform. And early last month, he backed up those words with action. Specifically, he proposed an amendment to the U.S. Constitution that would limit the reach and scope of the Second Amendment. In a statement released early last month, Newsom outlined what the amendment would do. First, it would raise the federal minimum age to purchase a gun from 18 to 21, mandate universal background checks, institute a waiting period on all purchases, and it would ban assault weapons used for war for purchase by civilians. The amendment will be tough, if not impossible, to pass. That's because two-thirds of both houses of Congress have to agree on the language, 
then three-fourths of states have to agree on that same thing. That is really hard to do, especially when the country's very polarized. Our Congress can barely even get a budget passed and raise the debt ceiling and not shut everything down. To get uh, especially a controversial amendment on guns through would be almost impossible. Dr. Sandra Cosgrove is a history professor at the College of Southern Nevada. She says there is another path, one led by the states. If two-thirds of state legislatures agree on an amendment, they can call a constitutional convention to discuss the language and have Congress create a joint resolution for approval by the conventions. However, Cosgrove warns this approach could also open the door for some unintended consequences under Article 5 of the Constitution. There's no rules. It doesn't say you can only look at one amendment. It doesn't say once they're in session, what else are they allowed to do? Or who's, who gets to be on these commissions? Or what are we supposed to do about this? So it makes people nervous that if we went down that path, that we would lose control of the amending process and it would be a free-for-all. So, so far, we've never done it that way. None of the current 27 amendments to the Constitution have been proposed through conventions, so Newsom's proposed amendment would have to go through Congress, which is unlikely, if not downright impossible. But there have been some strategies for success in the past. Cosgrove says amendments have historically come about in bunches, starting with the first 10 amendments known as the Bill of Rights. The Anti-Federalists did not trust the Constitution as it was written and thought it was tyrannical. They wanted it to be mellowed out a little bit. But they also were saying, okay, we're looking at the body of the Constitution and we see that white men with property have power and they're protected here. What about the rest of us? From there, the Constitution was left untouched until the Civil War ended when newly freed slaves needed their rights enshrined as well. In comes the 13th Amendment. But then the next group are the Progressive Amendments. And between 1913 and 1920, the progressives are able to put in the income tax, drug selection of senators, prohibition, and women getting the right to vote. And people look at that and go, well, it must not be too hard. If you can get four in that many years, it must not be too hard. Cosgrove says those amendments, they got passed because of a 50-state strategy, where people put together working groups in every state to educate the public about the issues and make the case for amendments. That way, when the measures get to Congress, there's already grassroots support for the ideas. So unless Governor Newsom can show me that he's got a 50-state strategy, I would think that what he's talking about is political hyperbole. Dr. Sandra Cosgrove is a history professor at the College of Southern Nevada. The Sierra Nevada Ally is raising money to continue to serve this wonderful community with high-quality journalism and accurate, engaging, and relevant storytelling. Show your support with a financial contribution at sierranevadaally.org. And while you're there, sign up for our free newsletter and get the latest news and reports sent directly to your inbox. Rachel Reyes graduated from the University of Nevada, Reno's School of Journalism in 2021. And after about a year working in the real world, she decided to embark on a new adventure as an English language assistant in the Basque country of northern Spain. She's doing it as part of the North Atlantic Language Assistance Program. I found out about this program through TikTok. <laughs> I think definitely like being in Reno and having such a, like a strong Basque 
prominence in that region like definitely influenced my decision and wanting to uh, check it out. And so uh, pretty much through the program, you have the choice of choosing your top three regions that you want to live in in Spain. And so I chose the Basque Country as my first one. And I didn't really know what to expect like going into it. Um, and so getting there was just like, it was just like a completely different world. Let's get into that because I want to, before we get into the details, I just want to back up and just give a quick overview of like, what is Basque Country? Where is that located? And what, what it, what I guess what's uh, unique or how, how would you describe Basque Country? So Spain is separated into multiple autonomous regions. And so the Basque Country is all the way up north. It's almost like touching France. It's like as Pretty far, as far north as you can get and uh, the Atlantic Ocean is right there and so uh, the Basque country is completely separate from the rest of Spain they have their own government they have their own language they have their own culture and identity completely and so a lot of people that are from the Basque region um, they don't say that they're Spanish. They say that they're Basque and they're super proud of their identity and as they should be because the culture is just so, so beautiful, like in every single way. Let's get in. We'll get into culture, I promise. But before we do that, I want to talk about language. What was your comfort level in in Spanish or Basque, I guess, going into this? And what have you sort of had to learn along the way? So my dad is from Honduras, and so um, in Honduras they obviously like speak Spanish, but I didn't grow up with a really strong level of Spanish. I kind of understood more than I could speak, but even then I was like, nah, like I really wasn't like super comfortable. So getting there, I was like, okay, whoa, like this is like a complete culture shock. And so pretty much they speak Euskera, which is Basque. And so um, depending on where you are within the Basque country, you, the more rural you get, the more that they speak Basque. Whereas like some of the bigger cities, like I was living in the capital, which is uh, Vitoria Gasteiz, and they mostly speak Spanish. Like you hear mostly Spanish on the streets, but in the schools, they strictly teach in Basque. So like where I was at, I was in a pueblo um, named Isarra, which is like right outside of Vitoria. And in that school, they only spoke Basque. And you have like so many students that speak Spanish, Basque, um, speak Arabic, like you know, you have people from all over the world and um, they're really, really proud of their language. And it's really important for them to speak it in schools because they were repressed of their language during uh, Franco's rule. And so it's super important to them to uh, integrate that in the younger generations. It reminds me a lot of, and I'm, and I'm not trying to make any connections here that you aren't, but it, it reminds me of uh, the the native languages here in Nevada, like the Paiute and and that sort of thing, and trying to keep those languages alive after uh, you know conquerors and and settlers have sort of tried to take that away, right? So how do you manage with all the different languages that you hear, like Spanish, Arabic, Basque? Like how do you how do you teach English in that? <laughs> I'm just I'm already like overwhelmed. So how do you uh, how do you teach in that sort of environment? 
So I'm the language assistant. So they have, we have a main English teacher and I was working alongside like the main English teacher. I was pretty much just like helping to make the classroom like a fun environment to learn and like activities and games. And like, you know, I wanted to make them excited to speak English. And so I was only allowed to speak English to them. They like really discouraged any sort of like Spanish because it forced them to really tap into their English skills. So they teach English in the schools starting at a really, really young age, like in preschool, they're like, they have English. And so they have like some sort of base, but it's like some people, it's, they're more confident in their skills, whereas others, they're like just learning. Um, I'm just curious, you know, you went to school at UNR. We have a very, you know, thriving and vibrant Basque community in Northern Nevada. I'm curious... What did you know about Basque culture, uh, you know, food, events, traditions, that sort of thing before going to Basque country? And what have you sort of experienced and learned since? So before uh, going to the Basque country, I really didn't have like a lot of information about it. I just didn't educate myself on it because I thought it was so similar to Spanish culture. But it is in some ways, but in so many other ways, it just it just isn't like down to their food. It's so different. Like, for example, like in Span, uh, like in Spanish culture, they have um, like tapas where in the Basque culture, similar, but kind of different. They have pinchos, which is spelled P-I-N-T-X-O-S. And so um, with like that you go to any bar and they'll have like little small bites that are usually on like a piece of baguette with like some sort of meat and like kind of like a skewer going through it. And so that was super different. And I didn't realize how different the language was going to be from Spanish. It's the oldest language in Europe and it is so different. Like it is completely different than any other language. Um, There's a lot of like T's and X's and K's and like H's where like Spanish sounds a little bit more like um I guess like more fluid where like the uh like Basque language is a little bit more like harsher with the K's and the X's you know and like even down to their like dress wear like they have these like beautiful dresses where like Flamenco, when you think of Spain, you think of like flamenco and like sangria and like that kind of stuff. Where um, in the Basque country, they have like a completely different type of like music style and dancing. And like, um, yeah, it's just, it's so unique. I would also say like in the Basque country, it's typically colder during the winter, where like as in different parts of Spain, it's like warmer like down south it like it's more mediterranean weather and up north like they have um like pretty harsh winters but like gorgeous summers and so i think that also influences things like weather i feel influences people and like no i think you've really you've really hit the nail on the head in in really getting to the point that basque country is not spain it's technically within the borders of spain but it is a totally different thing. And it, I'm just curious, I know you, you mentioned while you were here in Nevada, you know, you didn't, you didn't necessarily educate yourself a ton on Basque culture. But you know, there's Basque restaurants, there's Basque things going on here. I'm curious, did you do anything that was sort of quintessential 
quintessentially Basque while you were here? And then what's the, I guess, what's the most sort of stereotypical or quintessential Basque thing you've done since you've been in Spain? Huh, that's a really good question. Um, one thing that I wish that I did was dress up in their dress, like their traditional dress wear. Um, but for Christmas time, they have their own version of Santa. So it's called Olinchero. And pretty much it's like a man who like lives out in the mountains with his wife. And during Christmas time, he like comes down on his donkey and he like delivers presents to all of the kids. And so um, during, uh, like right before they went on Christmas break, uh, they had Olinchero come down with his donkey and all the students were like dancing around and singing. And it was just so beautiful like watching that because they have like obviously their own like songs that they sing to Olinchero to like have him deliver the presents. And um, yeah, it was so beautiful. Like I, I didn't even realize like that like obviously like other cultures have different representations of Santa and um, it was just so cool like seeing that come to um, just manifest you know how cool yeah that's the that's one of the joys of the the kind of position you're in right is you're able to be there in person and experience it there rather than read about it in a book so anyone who's never been or doesn't know anything about Basque country anything like what what's the one thing you'd want them to know I would just recommend everybody go. <laughs> I think that it's one of the most, if not the most beautiful place I've ever seen. And it's just so lush and the people are beautiful. The culture is beautiful. If somebody like, if whoever's listening, like is interested in living in Spain and having this opportunity and living in the Basque country, I would totally recommend checking out this program. And I think that it really was like a transformative experience in every single way. So I would recommend everybody ex like go to the Basque country, go, go, go. You'll love it. <laughs> and we should note that, you know, you are not getting any sort of commission from the, the Basque tourism board or anything like that. Definitely not. <laughs> Rachel Reyes is a graduate of UNR's journalism program, and she is helping to teach English in the Basque country. Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Noah. That'll do it for Ally Radio this week. A big thank you to Rocio Hernandez, Dr. Sandra Cosgrove, and Rachel Reyes for joining the show. Ally Radio is a partnership between the Sierra Nevada Ally and KNVC Carson City Community Radio, which broadcasts the show Fridays at noon. Support for our work comes from our readers and listeners at sierranevadaally.org and knvc.org. You can keep up with the latest news and information from the Sierra Nevada Ally at our website, sierranevadaally.org. While you're there, sign up for our free newsletter and get the latest stories sent directly to your email inbox. 
Ideas, corrections, tips? Send them our way. You can email me directly at noah at sierranevadaally.org. I'm Noah Glick, and until next time, let's be good to each other.